first question that I would love for you guys to interact with. Um, and uh, if, if some of you give the same answers, we, and we don't have to keep going all the way down the road. These are the men of our church. They, uh, and Adam is right beside John. Okay. I've got a cover today. Thrilled about missions, and then 
get on a plane, you know, go visit someone for a short term. There's a lot of ways, but to me that would be number one, just read those biographies, even as a family, you get really excited. There's actually some good uh, kids' biographies, missions biographies in English that you can get your hands on. Our, our kids read them and, um, and they love them, so you guys can do that. I think a lot of people uh, catch what happens in churches. And one of the things that we do at our church in St. Louis is every fifth Sunday is Missions Sunday. So there's an emphasis on missions and on that day, uh, usually it's a message that is directed towards missions. A lot of missionary letters will be communicated and so forth. And uh, one of the things that people will tell me when I travel around to different churches, uh, pretty much every time I go, there's always a small minority of people who will come up and say, I pray for you every day. And that is really kind of difficult to respond to. You don't even sometimes think it doesn't seem to be sufficient. But there are people that just really latch on, um, and, and it's, it's, uh, if it starts up here, it'll, it'll, it'll trickle down to the people. So I think uh, what you guys are doing is, is just fantastic. I think this is, you're going you're gonna to ride this wave for a couple of months and keep it going. Johnny and Dad? I'm 
kick John Glass if I were you, so. <laughs> Just um, to piggyback on that, uh, early on in my marriage to Kim, we read uh, together, Kim and I did, S. Pierce Carey's biography of William Carey. It would, it would not be an overstatement to say that changed our marriage. It changed our thinking. And so to read together, and we, it was as simple as we read it every night. She read a paragraph, I read a paragraph back and forth. It took us a couple months to kind of plow through it. But please, and we'll, we'll give you a recommendation list of some, some, for some kids. Uh, there's a new series called Bike Size Biographies that is a really good way to get after that. And there's a great biography here, like a good one. It's Mary Schlesser. You ever heard of her? Yeah, she's a single missionary. She went to Zanzibar. I can't remember what dates. And I, I thought it was the coolest biography. She had this umbrella, and to uh, to, to witness to the natives who weren't listening to them, she'd take her umbrella and hit them on the head. So I'm not recommending that, but apparently it worked. So anyway, it's a really cool biography. Johnny, you taking notes for Sicily? Start hitting, hitting the Sicilians on the head. Sorry, I wasn't following. I was translating. Yeah, apparently, John says when you're preaching, you should hit people on the head if they go to sleep with an umbrella. That's, 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 no, that's what Mary Schlesser, the missionary, had to we, we, we can't do that in Sicily because maybe extended family might show up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what he means by extended family? Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is the. I'm going to go right back to the hardest question. This is, uh, Dan, can you hear us okay in the back? Good, thanks Richard. One of the things that I have not so secretly prayed for is that God would raise up missionaries from our church, from, from our kids, maybe some of you. Um, and that it wouldn't just be necessarily missionaries to to safe places, which means developing a mindset from early on with our children all the way up that the gospel is not necessarily safe. It's secure in eternity, but it's not secure in this world. Um, any thoughts about uh, us as parents, as fathers, being willing to Give our children not to the Lord, but back to the Lord. Um, and, uh, and full disclosure, my, my youngest son wants to be a missionary, and Kim and I have done nothing but, but encourage that from, from the very beginning. So any words to fathers cultivating that and also freely giving our children to the Lord to do with what he deserves? Yeah, honestly, over the years, I have seen more parents try to turn and steer their children away from missions. Well, wait a minute, you have to make a living, you know, we want you to be a lawyer, we want you to be a doctor, and, and, and the child has a real draw and a sense that God is, is calling him, and, and, and it's the parents that really need to be taught, I believe, and really instruct them that if God has his hand on one of your children, I, I would consider it a dangerous thing to do to try to squelch that. And you need to do what your pastor is doing, and that is encouraging them. Make the ministry out to be, even with all of the hard times and difficulties, it is a blessing to serve the Lord. And I, I remember vividly 
Gerald asked me one time, <clears throat> Mr. Marty Missionary, can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you like being a missionary? I view that as an opportunity. I want him to know how much, what a, what a privilege it is, what an honor it is to serve the Lord. And I would encourage all of you parents, and some of you young people, if you feel that God is moving in your heart, you let your mom and dad know, you sense this, and hopefully that they will encourage in that. Evangelical pastor, because 
it's, it's not recognized in the culture. Um, it's not appreciated. And so uh, the reality is that they, the kids, our kids at least, as, as I'm experiencing, again, by far not an expert, but they face that tension of wanting to be normal uh, in terms of you know experiencing life as other children do and growing, uh, as opposed to feeling the pressure of being the missionary kid, the pastor's kid, especially on the mission field where that's accentuated because you're the only family that the church is looking at as a model. And so while we try definitely to cultivate spiritual life in them, praying for their salvation and encouraging them about, just as was said, you know, following Christ, denying yourself, and, and we try to live out that model, we also don't want to uh, just uh, you know, go overboard on that so that they feel that pressure. We're trying to have them identify and live more of the life that your children live in country here, and so to enjoy sports, to enjoy church, and to enjoy life, and, and to excel, and, and do whatever to God's glory, whether it be the mission field, or whether it be um, uh, just these uh, secular works. Yeah, in a way, we've had, we're dealing with that. We have two boys who, uh, they're not missionaries in the classic sense of the term, but they're both ambassadors for Christ, very strong Christians, love the Lord, very bold, and they both live in Muslim countries. Um, our oldest has been living in Morocco for four years, and our youngest has been living in Dubai. And uh, they both give us kind of funny stories, and, and it's all that to say that we get nervous about them. Um, James is in Dubai, and you know, in Dubai all these women are veiled big time, so he's in this elevator. And like four veiled women from head to toe walk in, and you can just see a slip from their eyes. So James walks in, and he's kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. He goes, "Hi, how you guys doing?" Now to these ladies, well, first of all, most of us don't even talk to him. He goes, "Hey, how you doing?" And you know, he says, "I can see your eyes." James, <laughs> you want to live past twenty? <laughs> The other day, he was a, he's, he's traveling now for a, an American company that is a telecom busting company. So he was down in in Mali, yeah, not Bali, Mali, okay, where all the Muslim terrorists are. He was doing business in, in the capital, and so he went to he goes to this company. They're all Muslims, and at the end of the business, he says, "Hey, hey guys, uh, where are the Christians in your company?" Can I, can I meet any Christian that works in your country? I'm going, John Lee, are you serious? You're in Mali. Well, they say, oh, yeah, yeah. So they go back and they bring this one lonely Christian for him to meet. And I'm thinking, you're nuts, man. You're really crazy to go that way. But, but so I, we get scared. We really get scared because they are in places where you can literally die for your faith. So all that to say is we're, we're proud of them. We're excited for them. But we're scared for them. And I realize that we live in a really safe place. But what they're doing is actually right. I just hope, we just pray that they would have be wise. Okay? Just when you can be bold, we have to be wise. So, here you go. That's kind of what works. A little different perspective, Johnny. With, with these guys, they, they, in Italy, from Argentina, they, what were their families and their acquaintances, their friends' response to these guys? going full-time in ministry. Um, quelle erano le risposte 
o reazioni dalle vostre famiglie, amici, quando voi avete deciso di lasciare il calcio, lasciare il mondo passato per darvi al ministero a tempo pieno? La prima risposta è che pensano che sia pazzo e che, che tutto quello che stai facendo è qualcosa che, che è frutto di manipolazione di altri uomini. Uh, just in context, they were professional soccer players, so that's even uh, sort of more, uh, so it's heightened. Uh, so Simone says, uh, first of all, they think you're crazy, they think you've been brainwashed, and uh, everything that uh, is your new world is just a world that's manipulating you. But obviously, when the time is, to say a high schooler or a young college student who's really excited about the idea of missions and just wondering, you know, where they should be uh, directing their, their attention, their future um, in that regard or how to prepare for something like that. The question is, how do you encourage a high schooler, maybe even a collegian, who's thinking about missions, what do you do with that interest, that curiosity? Or how would you encourage them how to direct, I mean, do you go to, is this a seminary track, or, I mean, they got to work that out, right? And right. so, I'm just wondering how they would encourage like to prepare for a life of missions. Probably start, yeah, if we're talking about the high school age, college is a bit, a bit different, um, probably have different opinions on where to go in college, uh, but uh, I think the local church is critical in this process to expose your desires not only to your parents, but to your elders, 
so that they can have their uh, why their wisdom and their eyes on you as you develop in ministry. And so I would say uh, serve in the local church, discover your giftedness, glean the wisdom, as much wisdom as you possibly can from the men around you, and, and also um, gain experience in serving unbelievers, making relationships and interests for the gospel. And of course, there's other things you can add, like missions trips and things like that. But I think that um, uh, learning, especially as a high school student, um, ministry from those who have more experiences. So I think that that's my counsel would be the same for somebody who wants to go into pastoral ministry or missions because it's so critical uh, for when you get to the mission field. Let me follow up on that with all of you because one of the pressing questions for you on the receiving end and for us even on the sending end is the concept of a short-term missions trip, a short-term ministry trip, because um, having been overseas a few times, sometimes that's really helpful into what people can come and do. Sometimes it's more of a burden on the people who are receiving. Help us, you can be as frank as you want to, what's helpful and what's um, a, a burden for short-term missions. Sending trips over. I think short-term missions have a place, but I don't believe short-term missions is going to do what is necessary for a person who gives their life. You can't go to a place for two weeks and, and really see effective, deep ministry. I think it really is helpful to introduce a person to the whole idea of missions, but I think we really need to think of, if you go... You're giving your life to this, and, and, and not just, there are some churches, they, their whole missions program, their whole missions emphasis is sending people out two weeks, you know, scattered around, and, and again, there's a place for that, but that's not how missions is really going to get done. Encourage people, help, help them to think of the long term, and, and kind of put that in their, in their minds. But if there's some people here who are interested in missions, you need to let your elders know so they can begin praying for you and, and just seek their wisdom and seek their counsel. And as was already expressed, read missionary biographies, read, read how God has used people. Uh, and, and they'd be the first ones to tell you, we never dreamt in our lives that, that, that the Lord would uh, enable us to do what, I, had I known what we were called upon to do, I thought, well, I don't think I'm capable of doing that. But the one who gives you that ability makes you capable. And you just have to believe that the Lord's going to use you. John, I know you have tons of people coming to Geneva. What's helpful and what is a burden to you? Well, the challenge with Geneva, probably Italy too, is the language. Okay? So we have basically generally said no to short-term missions because without language, I mean, you can talk English, there's a lot of English speakers in Geneva, but we're a French church. So that's been really uh, complicated. And secondly, most short-term mission uh, trips are in July and August, and Europe shuts down, basically, in July and August. We cancel all our ministries, we're down to church. 
For many years, I was in a teeny tiny church. We actually canceled church for one month. We went to August. There was just no one there. So you go, well, that's shocking. No, it's just European. It's just different, right? Can I hear an amen? Amen. Okay. So, so, that, so that's been really hard. However, we had a big music ministry, and so we realized that sometimes musicians and singers could come. So that's a that's a key area. Maybe music ministry. Of course, when you come with a group, you preach for a Sunday. That's fine. Um, I think short term missions really. I, don't, I can't speak for the others, but it's, it's less helping the missionary than exposing those in America to the life of a missionary. You're just getting a snapshot into the missionary's life. It's interesting, you guys came over to Geneva several years ago, and several of you have still talked about the breakfast at our house. That, for some reason that I can't explain, I think it was probably the wonderful croissant that my wife made, okay? I think that's really what did it. But that just, that was, that, that was a very momentous occasion for many of you, just a, a snapshot of a missionary life. And I think a lot of it is that. And so from that standpoint, I think it's cool. If you guys can come and it inflames you for missions, it may not mean that you'll become a missionary, but then you're going to look at missions differently, pray for missions, support missions. I think that's quite cool. Adam, yours is different because you can't follow me apparently. <laughs> because you have an English-speaking context, so people can come. Right? So it's different. Yes, it is. Um, so, I, I mean, to answer your question, I would say what's most helpful uh, to missionaries from STMs is whatever's helpful to the missionaries. I mean, some, some people can have an idea of what they want to do when they come, and it's not really helpful to the person who's there. Oh, we can come, you know, uh, have a children's camp, which may be good or it may not be good. On that missionary, really, they may say, "Need you to do that," <laughs> but they want to do that, right? Uh, or like you said, people who are musicians, and that may be a good thing. Um, or they may say, "You know, we, we just don't need that." So I, I mean, it's really important to interact with the missionary and say, "Okay, what's what do you need?" And then from there, we will structure what we can do based on that. Because otherwise, it can become a burden for the missionary to, you're almost hosting people and taking care of them, as opposed to them actually being a blessing to you. Um, so yeah, I think that just that interaction there is very helpful, talking to them about, okay, what do you need? How can we help you? I agree with what, what's been said. Is, um, there's just, what ends up happening is the exposure, and that goes to your, your other questions about how do you become more mission-minded? People see like, oh wow, this is what they do. I mean, you try evangelizing in London, and you realize this is a little different. They speak the same language, but this is quite taxing and a whole different group. So yeah, and we want to be sensitive, not sending people and expecting our missionaries to be tour guides. You know, just to give them a European vacation. John, you have an interesting perspective because. We did send, uh, we have a relationship with a conference that's in a different language than we speak, but it's, it's worked out in some unique ways, right? Yes, and that's one of the benefits that we've discovered over the course of uh, several years. Um, it all started, essentially, I mean, we, in the past, um, you know, do, uh, before even my ministry, uh, when I was on the field, before even coming out to seminary, I remember short-term trips coming and 
know, it was just uh, 20 high school kids uh, distributing thousands of tracks and, um, uh, you know, tracks were on the floor afterwards, uh, on the streets. Uh, it, it was a huge investment just to take care of the 20 uh, high school students and do uh, not only track distribution, but uh, some vacations and sightseeing. It was exhausting. Um, and in a sense, track distribution is not, uh, I, I agree with John, is not what essentially works. Um, Italians are weary of that and shun that, especially as, you know, publicly there are, you know, there are more crimes, terrorism, dangers, making, you know, public events becomes, um, more, there, there's a greater concern there. We have to ask for permits and so forth. So there's a lot of work that uh, provides little, in, little fruit, so to speak. What we've discovered over the years through the help of one particular church that you know, and, um, Shane Kohler and Faith Community, they approached us to do an English camp. And so as Adam said, uh, and our English camp has worked incredibly well because they've come and uh, they provide the resources and it's just a VBS, but it's, it's in English with Italian translators. Our church is the focal point. And so we gather uh, friends of the community, parents, uh, from our children's friends and just invite them. And it becomes a huge success because the children are attracted to the English. We reach out to the parents during the week and there is uh, <coughs> great evangelism, significant evangelism done. We've even developed a parent, uh, a parent, a, a Bible study for parents. And so we use that camp because then what the short-term team does is it leaves and it allows us to follow up with the contacts in the community. And on that wave, so to speak, we've worked with this in the same way with transformation and with uh, Mission Road, with you guys. I mean, our partnership becomes very strategic. Where can we, uh, where can we work to uh, most effectively help you in your ministry? And so with ITA, we want to reach the next generation beyond pastors, we want to reach uh, young Timothys, and so transformation does that for us. And so you're coming alongside, as you did uh, last year, uh, and helping young adults, that then you leave, and these young adults remain connected to us. And so that is very strategic, and that's just, uh, that's a, a huge blessing for short-term missions.
another great discussion because I've seen some churches take you know, a person or a student who's not doing well spiritually thinking if we send them on a short-term mission, that will get them in line rather than saying, we don't want to send someone overseas to do something that they're not already doing here. So we're having some kind of qualification. Some of you guys have to leave. I understand just a few more uh, minutes. Uh, Jim. Is personal financial debt uh, an issue for people going on the mission field? Yeah, Brian agrees with that. You're dealing with that all the time. I think I, I need to introduce Brian Milam, is um, uh, one of the coordinators of the missions uh, thrust at Grace Community Church. He's here spying on us. This is uh, Bill's son and uh, Brian have good friends uh, to seminary together back in the late 80s. Um, and before Adam was born. And uh, it's just good to have him here. He came back with his dad, so you can tell back. Anyway, personal debt. I, I think that's, a, that's actually a really good question because I know that Brian would, would uh, second what I'm saying. There are a number of missionaries that say, I want to go to a missionary. They go through seminary. They're still dealing with college debt. They're dealing with seminary debt, potentially. Uh, especially for those of you who are in high school or even college desiring to go to the mission field. Another role that missionaries have is being a financial manager because you are managing people's gifts, funds, building projects, whatever it is, and you need to learn to, to use your finances responsibly before the Lord. And so, yeah, I wouldn't, when you come, I want to go to the mission field and you have, I don't know what, $50,000, $100,000 of college debt, who's going to pay that? They're sent to sporting churches, and so, I think you have to you have to make wise decisions. I mean, I have seen some incredible cases where the Lord has brought donors to actually pay off people's college debt so they can get to the mission field sooner. But at the same time, I just yeah, I encourage wise financial decisions and maybe working for a couple of years to get those, that debt down um, so you're not a burden to other other churches. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes. No, I was I was with Team uh, for 22 years before we went over to GMI. They had a policy: if you're in debt, forget it. You're not going to the mission field, so it's impossible. I don't know about GMI, but many mission uh, organizations will not let you go if you're in debt. So that's the bottom line. Put it on the spot. What's Grace's policy, GMI policy on debt? Yeah, we uh, all those that we deal with, they have to be out of debt. And I would also say be careful as you look for uh, a, a wife. Uh, we've had instances in the past where someone got married and then come to find out their spouse had a lot of debt and, and this person, the husband, was already a missionary and then they had to come off the field to help take care of his wife's debt. So just make sure it's taken care of. For the purpose of prayer, who is it? The <laughs> <laughs> other questions before some of you guys have to go. Discomfort dealing with like, things like culturally? No, like when you're, like when you want to share, like just like in your own life, like when you're, like obviously when you're in the church, you're, you're doing things for the Lord, but like, do you have any discomfort like going out to the local community? Like people you deal with every day, and how do you work on that? Like fear and 
and trying to talk with other unbelievers about, about the gospel. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say I, I face that from time to time, depending on, like, I, I'll be honest, uh, recently I was at a funeral for um, a, a guy I had evangelized, and uh, he was an atheist, and he did the funeral in the Catholic Church, and the priest was talking about how uh, we need to pray for him so that he obtains to the resurrection of the dead. He's a good man. Like, this guy's an atheist. I watched, I talked to this guy for hours. And I, I just said I wanted to talk to the priest. And uh, so I went the next week and tried to find the priest. And I was really scared. I, I was like, I never talked with, gone into the Catholic Church and talked to the priest. And you just pray for the Lord for boldness and realize that God uses that's what we have to do. You have to overcome your fears. It's not about me. It's about the spread of the gospel. And you have to step, put yourself in those risky situations, so to speak. Um, I think fear is natural when you know you might be rejected. And you, that's just expecting that as, as part of winning the battle against it. And then trusting the Lord and opening your mouth and talking about Christ. I think one of the keys, or at least something that helps, is especially for those in the community that you're in contact with regularly is, I mean, I'm sure you know this, but to develop relationships. And so we try as much as possible, I try, we try as a family, we try, I encourage my church to, to reach out and live out relationships, develop friendships, so to speak, so that uh, we're not just you know, firing verses at those around us uh, and, 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 and just being unproductive in that sense and coming off harsh and breaking those relationships. Because we have a lot of churches around us, uh, charismatic churches for the most part, that do that um, and that uh, simply witness by, uh, you know, again, um, uh, straightforward verses. And, uh, and, and it oftentimes becomes so unproductive that what they hear that we're evangelicals, uh, there's a sense of anticipation that they're going to be uh, fired upon, again, for lack of a better expression. And that's, 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 we just have this one-track mind where we're not interested in them and their lives, but just want to convert them, so to speak. And so we try as best as possible, especially for those in the community. I mean, if, if there are passers-by, at that point, you know, it takes on a, witness takes on a different format, and perhaps you're trying to get the gospel out. But for, for what, uh, as far as it depends on us, as we try, and we fail at this often, but as we try, we're trying to develop relationships so people see that we, we love Christ and, and, and we, we love them as well and want to share the love of Christ to them in a, in a natural, in normal fashion. One more question, and then uh, I know the guys have to get to work. Um, each of you, I'll let you name it, even the, our Italian friends. Quick answer, encourage these men. You are, we were all called to be evangelists, right? Uh, because that's a part of your vocational mission, uh, how, do you, how would you encourage us in overcoming you were talking about the fear muscle. Uh, overcoming the resistance, and, uh, overcoming ourselves to be faithful in, in just an hour when these guys go to work. The natural resistant fear that we all have uh, to evangelize. 
Uh, how have you, how do you continue to battle that in your own heart and to be faithful to tell people about the gospel? Marty? I just go back on Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. We have to keep in mind that the, the, the power to save is not within our own ability. Oh, if I just was better, if I, if, every time I witness to somebody, I'm driving home, I say, why did I bring that up? Why did I say that? You can't go that way. You just thank God that you have the opportunity to clearly share the gospel, and, and that's that the, the power to save is inherent within the message that the Holy Spirit uses. And if I don't keep that in mind, you know, I'll be terrified because I know what the reaction is from 95 to 100% of the people that I share the gospel with. Just rely upon the power of the message that has the, the ability to save when used by the Holy Spirit. I think there's various strategies to deal with fear in your own heart. I want to second what Johnny said about relationships. You have to size up a situation with wisdom. And so when I'm talking about going to talk to a priest for the first time, it's, I don't know if I'm going to have an ongoing relationship with him. If I, I would like to. But then there's the people in your community, your workplace especially. These are guys you see day in and day out. And so you need to work to build that relationship with them. Have lunch with them. Don't sit at your desk during the lunch hour. Go, go have lunch with your coworkers. You're not having opportunities to share the gospel perhaps because... For me, when I was, I worked as an engineer, I was sitting at my computer every lunch hour and not being with the unbelievers. So you have to work through that and, and remember your goal is to, to love them. Yes, love them by sharing the gospel, but, but love also expresses itself in other ways besides simply telling the gospel. And then when it comes to the fear of actually talking to them, recently what's been helpful for me is just recognizing in my heart I'm thinking more about what they think of me rather than what pleasing the Lord with my responsibility before Him and realizing that they need they need the gospel and here I am thinking about me. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a sinful issue in my own heart that I have to address. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll just say uh, for me, I, I have to deal with it early. If I don't deal with it early, So I have to set out in the beginning in my prayers, in my reading, that this is why I exist, is to make Christ known. Uh, like my master was saying, dealing with the fear aspect early, uh, and praying about it, and praying for opportunities. I mean, actually saying, no, Lord, please bring this opportunity, and then thinking about that, that, okay, this is what I'm setting out for today. I'm waiting for the opportunity to tell someone about Christ. And that way you're, you're prepared for it. I mean, it's so many times you can, I mean, this doesn't matter if you're on the mission field or in Kansas City, if you're not thinking about it, something will come up and you freeze in the moment. And we all know that. You just kind of like, you go through the fear aspect of it and you end up making the wrong decision. We think, oh, I had the opportunity. What am I doing? Uh, so dealing with the early thing and, and praying, Lord, bring the opportunity and help me to fear you more than I fear anyone else. That's what really helps me. You know, and 
chiedo che c'è un'attenzione nel momento dove tutti siamo portati a cercare di difendere la nostra posizione davanti agli altri. I think there's a sense where we're all sort of we, we, we launch, we, we begin sort of defensive, wanting to defend our faith before others or defend our position. Però quello che, che, che a me fa riflettere è sempre capire che se noi non abbiamo questo fuoco, questo desiderio di proclamare Cristo, forse è perché dobbiamo conoscere più Cristo. So, but, but I think if, if, we, if, we, if we don't have this desire or we struggle with it to proclaim, proclaim Christ, then perhaps we need to spend more time with Christ and know Him better uh, in order to uh, develop that greater conviction, that, 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 uh, that drive. Ed è per questo che noi, noi proclamiamo ciò che prima di tutto noi stessi crediamo fortemente. We proclaim what first and foremost we know fundamentally. Non penso ci siano regole, ma penso che ci sia più un cuore. I don't think there are any rules that we can add to this, but I think it's about the heart. Una delle cose che mi ha aiutato molto è stato il John MacArthur, il numero dell'evangelizzazione. One of the things that has helped me uh, in that regard is to read John MacArthur's book on evangelism. Because I myself am afraid often or uh, beset by fear in witnessing to others. One of the things I understood from reading uh, Pastor John's book is that uh, we present the person of Christ not as a plan, but as a person. Now this is actually from Rick's chapter where he explains how to present the gospel. E la cosa anche che mi ha colpito è che lo stesso messaggio che il non credente rifiuterà ed è di cui ciò ho paura. And uh, in addition to that, the same message and gospel that the unbeliever will, will refuse. E lo stesso messaggio che Dio può usare per salvare. That message that I'm afraid to give out is the same message, is the only message that God will use to save others. Questo mi incoraggia proprio a essere fedele al messaggio affinché Dio lo usi secondo la sua. And this encourages me to then be faithful to the message, knowing that it will depend on God, it depends on God. I'm uh, just practically, I mean, I'm not trying to score points here, but um, uh, observe Rick as you uh, travel with him or are with him, observe how he relates to others, and travel with John Glass. And observe how he relates to others. I think that uh, just the, the way these men reach out to others in, in a coffee shop, uh, just developing those relationships, what Massimo talked about as well, is contagious in that sense. And it's nice to see because that's what we want to do. I don't want to set out my day saying, how many people am I going to witness to? I want to set out my day saying just how... Uh, i want to be friendly to others. I want to be available to others. And, uh, and these two men are examples in that, just in watching and observing them. They're kind, except for our friend in Taurina, the artist. He doesn't want to hear. John? I'm oh, sorry, Massimo and John. 
I was just going to, just to encourage you guys, a, a lot of what I learned in terms of being a missionary and evangelist, I actually learned working a secular job uh, before I was in seminary and while I was in seminary. I learned more about reaching people through working like you guys do than I did going to seminary. So, you just got to do it and learn and develop those abilities. But if you're in seminary, guys, that doesn't mean you can quit. <laughs> Don't quit seminary, you need that too. Yeah, so I think it's a really good question, and uh, this could be a, a subject of debate or discussion one day in one of your meetings on missions, but I think there's a big difference between being an evangelist and being a witness, and I think we confuse those a little bit. For example, in Ephesians 4, it just it says this, it says, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. I don't think everybody's evangelist, but I think we sometimes talk about evangelism and sort of throw it all together, and we make us all feel like we all need to be evangelists. I think for some people who don't have the gift of evangelism, just the idea of telling someone, like, you know, the cashier, I'm a Christian, and I go down to this church over here, I mean, they're going to go home and sweat because they, they were courageous enough to articulate the fact that they were Christians. To share one verse with someone can be really complicated. But I think this is what Acts 1.8 says. Acts 1.8 says, and it makes a difference, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest part of the world. So we're all called to witness. I don't think we're necessarily all called to be evangelists. Some people really have a gift in that area, and you know them. It's the people in your church that actually see people come to Christ. Uh, you know, some people seem to have a, just a better ability to do that than others. So I thought that's to, to de de guilt eyes a little bit. However, being a witness can be learned. And one of the ways to do that is to learn how to share the gospel. I think a lot of people don't share the gospel because they don't know how to share the gospel. I'll tell you, the revolution for me was taking uh, back at Grace Church EE, Evangelism Explosion, because that gave us a method. And so, since my memory is gone, but I've got in both my Bibles, this is my English Bible and my French Bible, I've got this thing called the Gospel Presentation, because my memory is gone. So I've got EE written out here, and if I've got my Bible with someone, I can pull this out and explain the Gospel. I also use a little booklet similar to the Four Spiritual Laws, which just articulates the Gospel. And having those ready, when the opportunity comes up, you need to have a way to share the gospel in one minute, in three minutes, and in 20 minutes. And when you're, if you're ready, if you're just ready and you know how to do that, it's so much easier and it reduces the fear factor. And the other day, last story, uh, this guy has come for counseling. He's a non-believer. He doesn't know anything about the Lord, anything about Christ, but his marriage is falling apart. Someone said, you got to call John Glasson. The guy's come. So I've had several meetings with him. We talked about marriage and everything. And finally, I said to this guy, listen, you need to understand the message of the Bible. I said, can I have 20 minutes of your time next week to explain the gospel to you? I just asked him. He said, sure. So he came the next week. I whipped this out, and I went through the gospel with him. He didn't come to Christ, but I shared the gospel. So sometimes, just ask, can I share the gospel with you? But if you do that, you got to know how to do it. So, you know, go to a class. If you guys have a class here, learn how to share the gospel, and man, you'll be a lot more 
more secure about sharing when the opportunity pops up. Okay, well, can we thank these guys?